Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. a great interview that we decided to turn it into a two-part series. Be sure to tune in next week for part two so you don't miss out on the amazing content. Everyone, it's uh, Roxanne Dorhodge of Authentic Living with Roxanne. Thanks for tuning in again today. Uh, Today I have uh, Wade Thomas and he's an executive coach and he talks about uh, executive, um, dealing with executives at the heart level, which is something, uh, as most of you know, that I talk about all the time. So I'm going to say that most of us out there are trying to figure out the most effective ways to lead, I would say, prior to uh, two years ago, but even more so uh, in the kind of the pressures of the uh, present economic times. So, Wade, thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. I love to do these. Okay, awesome. So uh, Wade's uh, business is called Aim to Win, and um, which is kind of what we're going to be talking about around leadership. So it kind of tell tell me what got you uh, involved in leadership. Was there was that something that was that was a passion? Did you go to business school and decide that you wanted to go into, or did you go into business and then kind of meander your way into executive coaching? So it's kind of interesting. You know, I started out as a you know out of college um, in a retail environment. I came out with a marketing degree, which at that era that meant you were going to go into sales of some sort. Mm-hmm. And so I went to retail environment. And we had a retail store that was, you know, very successful. That was probably the smallest market in my region, yet I outperformed everybody. And it wasn't that I was great at sales. You know, I was probably a B sales player at best. But what I learned through that process was what really mattered were the people, the people that worked for me and how good they were at sales. And, and one of the things that just really excited me about the job is I had six different, you know, salespeople and I, and I usually had about eight on staff. So about six during my two years there, I got promoted to be managers of other stores. And I just realized at that moment, how much that excited me, how much seeing people develop excited me and also seeing how much success is out there and just making sure you have the right people in the right place and just engaged and excited how much impact that could have. So I went back to business school and started a career in human resources. You know, and and I was fortunate in my human resources career not to ever be stuck in one of those transactional paperwork pushing HR jobs that we all hear about. You know, everyone I was involved with, you know, my main role was how do we get the most out of our people? So I did a lot of coaching, a lot of leadership development programs, um, about organizational structure, things like that, and everything geared around how do we get the most out of it. And so from there, that's kind of how I fell into leadership. You know, I, I had a leadership role right out of college. And then in my HR career, I was leading people within about six months. And so I've, I've not known anything but. Right. So you started right out the, uh, right out the gates and with myself taking a different kind of path. I wanted to help people and started the psychotherapy route and then eventually went into leadership development as well. 
I know you work, you previous, uh, you know, you had worked a lot with uh, um, sales teams and um, in your, in your career, but you now work with leaders and you said you, you do something quite fascinating. And I, I, I would say that um, if you kind of think of, of the traditional models of leadership, it was kind of like, it was kind of autocratic top down, <laughs> you know, uh, your language, you know, kind of followed a certain sequence of events with how you speak to people, you know, in a different way. And the higher up, there was not much expectations about your ability or capacity to connect and then to communicate. And that kind of, you know, if you, all the business models kind of went to that kind of perspective. But what we're talking about is a little bit of a different perspective. So help us understand when you when you talk about um, heart leadership, how do you define heart leadership, Wade? So the no, first thing I'll comment on is, um, yeah, we start off with autocratic, but we have to evolve. And later on today, I'm going to drive to, you know, I'm going to go to my kid's school and pick him up from school and bring him home. You know, 100 years ago, I would have probably been doing that in a horse. Now I'm doing it in a car, and, and leadership's no different. So the, what, the way to find heart-based leadership is it's, it's leadership that focuses on empathy and compassion. And, you know, and really just being there for your people, understanding what they're going through in a very deep level, and then leading with that compassion. So what are some ways that, obviously, you were in retail, so I say in retail, you, you better know how to read, connect, um, and deliver and not over connect sometimes. Sometimes I know, you know, when people are walking, I think of myself, right, and I'm a um, I kind of go in, I know what I want. I, I generally, you know, if I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy. If I'm not going to buy, you know, I'm not one of those browsers. So it's kind of, you're going to have to figure out my timing and my tempo, I would think. So there's a lot of, you know, when we talk about compassion and empathy, salespeople, I would say, uh, you know, are they're having to be in tune with a lot of things that's going on and read kind of the, the customer. So what is it that you learned in retail that kind of helped you with some of the senior leadership development that you've done since? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. You know, I, I don't necessarily make that tie very often, but, but as I think about that, you know, in that retail and sales environment, and like I said, you know, we had a smallest market, yet we're the most successful. Mm. The reason is we didn't have high volumes of people walking through our doors. We sold to all of them and we sold to all of them repeatedly. You know, we, we had a number of people that were in every week. We sold computer software and, video, and we're at the very beginning of the video game era. So we sold video games as well. And so we just had those regular customers and the ability, not just of me, and there were a lot of people that even did it better within my store, but the successful salespeople were the ones that just got to know them. Mm -hmm. You know, they would come in and ask for a certain person. You know, I, I had a group of people that just want to deal with me and there was other people in groups that just want to deal with them because we really understood them. We empathized with what they were looking for, what they were trying to accomplish, or in the case of video games, maybe what they're trying to escape from. But, uh, <laughs> so just really understanding where they were coming from as opposed to just treating them like a transaction. For sure. And, you know, it's so, it's so interesting. So I've, I, I'm sharing a little bit about how I shop. Right. And I'm like, I'm not one of those people that say, let's go to the mall. <laughs> I kind of go in, I know, you know, and I, I don't like to browse a lot. If I, if I find a brand that I like or, or, you know, a type of, um, you know, business, I, I, I go back, to, I'm a creature of habit. And this particular boutique that I used to go to, um, 
in Toronto, in Yorkville, they figured me out relatively quickly. It was, you know, it was a small boutique. Um, there was a lot of, you know, bigger chains and stuff like that. But I can't, I would go back. And after a while, they knew exactly kind of what my style was, what my price point was, um, kind of my, you know, what kind of things I would go to for certain seasons. And they must have been collating um, a file on me as they went. Because what would happen is not every time they would, I would get a call and say, hey, we're just thinking about you and we just got XYZ in. I don't know if you're in the neighborhood, if you wanted to come in. And I, I, I kind of, and sometimes I wouldn't because I really wasn't in the mood. And, but if I did go in, that would generally be the time that I would shop for that season. And then I would, you know, and that would be me because I'm not the consummate, I'm going shopping all kind all the time kind of person. So, and I felt special because I thought, wow, they thought about me, but of course, you know, whoever probably um, was a, let's say assigned to someone like me knew kind of my wants and needs and kind of how, how my, my purchasing behavior was. So they took the time and I bought from that store for about 15 years um, before I kind of moved away into a different environment. So it's, it's interesting that you're saying that's getting to know um, your customers and spending that time is, is, is very, very valuable. Yeah. You know, you just illustrated something that I talk about all the time. <clears throat> and when you're, you're leading from the heart and you're taking the time to empathize with people and even showing compassion, you, you don't have to do it because you're nice, but you know, a good business reason to do it is it works. You know, were they doing that because they really had a personal interest in you? Yeah, maybe, but the reality is, is they want to get some sales. And it worked. And so many times we've been taught that, you know, leaders shouldn't be nice. You know, they shouldn't have compassion and empathy. And, and that's you know, when, when I'm coaching, I run into that as an obstacle all the time because people have been brought up in, to believe in the autocratic, I have to know everything. I'm not a vulnerable person style of leadership. But the way I get at it is, you know, you have compassion, empathy, use heart-based leadership because it works. It absolutely, well, and, you know, in my example, like I said, I became a customer and I spent a lot of money in that little boutique and I, and I had lots of options along the same row with probably a lot more variety, but I, I kept going back to this one particular store. So let's talk a little bit about the model of what you do with, you know, like you said, the kind of the business models, like you said, the difference in transition from horse and buggy to, you know, to, to kind of the industrial times, there's an evolution in, in leadership. And when we're talking about heart-based leadership, I'm going to assume that there's some of the old guard, a lot of the old guard in there that went through those traditional models of leading. So tell me how you approach them when you're trying to have them understand what the front end customer needs, because there are a couple of levels up, right? Yeah. Their aerial shots kind of high. <laughs> and their touch points are less than, say, the middle managers all the way to the front line. So tell me kind of how you approach those leaders and um, what some of your experiences um, is like kind of starting to introduce it or use it on an ongoing basis. So it's evolved over time. But um, for generally for most of my time, you know, I don't go in and teach compassion and empathy. You know, I, I don't go to a senior leader and say, you know, let's put compassion and empathy into your organization. 
Sometimes I do, right? And that's evolved, right? Now people are becoming a little more open with it. You can use those words now. All those bad words like compassion, empathy, love, caring, all those fluff. things you can use. Fluff that it used to be called about that's right. fluff. <laughs> 10, 15 yeah. years ago. Uh, or, or five. Yeah. <laughs> In some cases. But what I do teach is I teach them how to drive accountability in our organization. I teach them how to have influence. I teach them how to get engagement. I teach them time management, whatever it is that they need to learn as leaders. I teach them. I teach them to do it through the lens of compassion and empathy. Mm. So the most effective way of driving accountability in your organization is to win the hearts and minds of people. And so I teach them exactly that. And then, of course, that is loaded up with, you know, compassion, empathy. Why? Because it works. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're not getting confronted with this, you know, I've got to change my whole mindset. They're getting confronted with this is a better way to manage your organization. This is a better way to do, you know, those things that you have to do on a day-to-day basis. So let's, let's, let's use an actual concrete example then, you know, to maybe bring it home. So let's say um, I'm trying to get people to be more present, let's say, compared to, you know, we know that sometimes there's presenteeism, the term about 65% productivity that you might get out of your team or whatever, and you're the leader. And you're trying to drive performance because you'd like to kind of, let's say you'd like to get it up from 65 to 75. What kind of, like you said, you go at it from the, from the productivity lens but you want them to to look at it um, from the people end because you want the productivity to increase, correct? Right. So what kind of things do you do with that leader um, to help them see that or experience that that would where they kind of leave the bottom line alone because it kind of takes care of itself? Yeah, so let's start with the traditional way of looking at you know, productivity problems. You know, you might go get an engineer and figure out where are people spending their time? Or you might yell louder, or you might throw money at it. You know, a lot of those old guard solutions, you know, happen, right? And they don't work. You know, sometimes, you know, you get some improvements, especially in the engineering side, but, you know, the other ways don't work. The way I will teach it is I'll start with why aren't you getting 75% today? And why aren't you getting 75% from Bob, 75% from Rudy, 75% from Jennifer? You know, what is going on in their lives or in their work lives or their home lives that's not allowing you to get that 75%? What are they going through? You know, and it, and it could be something, you know, as simple as, you know, it's seven steps to get from stage one and stage two on a line. And they would do it much better if it was three steps. So, so it could be something like that, or it could be something like they're frustrated with their leader. Or it could be, you know, they're tired. And so getting down and dirty and empathizing with, you know, every one of those employees you're trying to get productivity out, that's going to help you target a solution that's going to work as opposed to throwing money at it or throwing discipline at it or whatever you might have traditionally done. So to kind of like um, spray and pray that, you know, we're going to make change, you're actually drilling down to the, I'm going to say the root cause of potentially, like let's say if you have a team of 10, some people are just gonna function and don't need any connection. <laughs> and then you, you, know, you can't use them as a benchmark because some people are just really, really good at doing that. And they actually prefer that you leave them alone <laughs> in the pre- or they're high producers, you, you get those personalities. 
And then there's the people that, like you said, they, they need to connect to feel validated. And then there's the other people that say, give me the tools and kind of stay out of the way. So you're yeah. going to have lots of behavioral kind of elements, I would think. Um, but if you're getting, say, you know, the, those two employees you talked about and they're consistently underperforming, I'm going to say that, that that's valuable intel for the leader to really understand potentially what kind of blockages or things might be um, getting in their way of, of higher productivity. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise what we do is we kind of manage the mean. So we're going to manage kind of somewhere in the middle. So the people that need more of our attention aren't going to get enough of our attention. People that don't want our attention, they're going to get too much. And so you may have a couple of like, oh, no, what, what did you do? You brought this guy in and I was doing fine. And now you want me to spend more time doing X, Y, Z. So not fix, not fixing what doesn't need to be fixed, looking at what's working really well. And then, but then ultimately um, addressing, creating solutions that address the actual issues that are in front of you. And then yeah. teaching the leader how to engage with this, those employees. Is that what you do? Yeah, for each person, right? So, okay. Each, okay. so each person's different. So that's kind of how I teach it is you, know, you can't look at them as, you know, a mass of employees. You've got to look at it individually and you can't be afraid to ask the questions and get to know them and truly walk in their shoes and empathize. Right. What if you have leaders that are, they don't know the, the difference between, or maybe they have experienced it, but they kind of think, you know, when I was an executive for years, Wade, they, you know, I got the message either implicit or explicit that you leave Roxanne the mother and wife at the front corporate door then you get on that corporate elevator <laughs> you perform as an executive when you get back you then your executive Roxanne for 12 hours or 10 hours and then when you jump back on that elevator then you became Roxanne the mother you know the sister the wife all that stuff right so we have a lot of that thinking still there in the separateness, which I know in the last little while, we, we haven't had that. But do you still have leaders that don't know how to gauge that? Like, how is it that I know I'm connecting, but I'm not being too intrusive? So I'm just curious how you might deal with a scenario like that. I wanna connect with you, Wade, you're my employee, but I feel like uh, I'm, I'm getting into business. And, but I want to be empathetic, but I want to be empathetic in a professional way without getting too personal. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big one. Right. And again, it's something that we've always been taught and has never been real. There has never been a Roxanne as the mother and a Roxanne as the executive, you know, you know, I, I never personally made that distinction either. It wasn't like I could turn off what happened, you know, in my personal life and go to work and then turn that off. And now, nowadays, you know, with the advent of the technology, you, you can't do it. You know, in fact, companies don't want their employees to do it. Right. I mean, how many emails do you get after five o'clock when you've gone home? You know, how many text messages or IMs or whatever the uh, communication method du jour is? And so that's, that's real. There is no separate person. There's, a, there's only a whole person. But we've always been taught as leaders that we don't get into people's personal lives. And, you know, my question is, why not? Mm -hmm. There's not a good answer for that. So, so how do you handle the, you know, the actual kind of one-on-one -on -one conversation and the, the nitty-gritty of it is, you know, you got to get over that fear. Mm -hmm. You know, research shows that most people want, you know, their leaders to 
have some knowledge or be involved at some level in their personal lives. That level varies, but you know, most people want that. So you can't be afraid of that. And then you ask the questions, you know, and you can start very broad, you know, how's your day going at eight in the morning or whatever, you know? So it can bring in a, how, you know, how are things going at home? And, you know, if you go too far, you're going to find out because if you're really, you know, a good leader and you're empathizing, you're listening and you'll feel those pushbacks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not the leader's role to be the psychotherapist, but it is the leader's role to be supportive of the whole person, not just the work person. The leaders that really are effective and really have the high engagement from their people, they're involved with the whole person. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.